When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The HIV epidemic is not over. HIV is still here. The face of HIV is so diverse. The biggest thing to reduce HIV stigma is just to talk about it. Testing and PrEP and HIV treatment and how effective it is today. Undetectable equals untransmittable. Whether you're positive or negative, there's not a wrong door. Whether it's testing or whether it's treatment, do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about HIV testing, treatment, and prevention at doitforyoumc.org. Hey, Rush Nation, before we get to today's show, which is an absolute banger, trust me on this, I want to tell you about the fantasy football playbook. Murph and I have been working really hard, blood, sweat and tears have been pushed into our first publication and we are pleased to announce what you must have seen on Twitter by now, but we are releasing on June the 1st. It's a book about fantasy football. Shock, this is a fantasy football podcast, but it's got strategy guides for all formats, rookie player profile reviews, Murph's PAS metric, which is exclusive to the podcast and the book, and it is currently on pre-sale. So get it cheaper before it goes up on June the 1st. Head over to fiveyardrush.co.uk into the shop and go buy yourself the fantasy football playbook. Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. Hi, Rush Nation. It's Murph here. No uh, stocks today. His uh, government holiday, government-sanctioned paid holiday has come to an end and he has uh, returned back to work on uh, on the golf course, making sure that others can get their exercise and socially distance. So, you know, think of him while he's out there in the sun or cloud as it is today as we record this, making sure that everybody can get out there and, and, and back to doing what they're doing. I'm still at home, as always, working from home because I'm one of those lazy people who, without an outside job. But um, as you should probably be aware, I'm never alone um, because if I'm left alone, things can just get a bit wild. Um, so I bought with me a 
really, really special guest, someone who I uh, known for a long time in terms of his work, and uh, most of you will will definitely know who the, who this person is. Um, the former face of American football uh, on Channel Five, and on top of that, was also a former cornerback for the London Warriors, overall TV personality, but more importantly, co-host of the Fumble Podcast. It's Vernon K. Vernon, welcome to Five Year Rush. How are you doing? Yeah, very good, very good. This is a, this is a thrill, uh, and I genuinely mean that because I think in this period of, of lockdown, with no football on TV, and we're going through the uh, we're going through the historical games that, that the NFL online or the NFL website are putting up there. It's quite it's quite a nostalgic nostalgic period. So it's good to just get out there and and waffle on about football and a sport that we're all passionate about. Absolutely. I, I've really been enjoying it. They made a big deal of Super Bowl 37, which I was there for when my Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you know, got their only Lombardi trophy. It was a, a great experience to be there when it happened, but to rewatch it again with, uh, with fresh eyes. I've not watched it for a couple of years. That was quite enjoyable. Plus also they've uh, given us three hours of schedule coverage, which I never thought you could get three hours out of a list of fixtures. So credit to them <laughs> for, for doing that. And, uh, it wasn't that dull, which <laughs> I think was probably the, even the fact that my uh, estimation levels have gone lower. And then 17 hours of draft coverage, which again is just calling names like a register. But hey, it was enjoyable. Yeah. I loved every <laughs> every minute. What did you think of the draft and uh, uh, and everything going on? I thought, I thought I thought first of all we should doff our caps to the NFL for actually putting it on and doing a great job remotely. Uh, I, I thought that the interior designer of the commissioners lounge room brandy room whatever it was did a did a fantastic job obviously he's a big fan of neville johnson contemporary household wares uh but i thought they did a really good job you know there was talk of it being hacked which would have been interesting considering what's been going on with hackers and zoom (laughs) recently uh but i thought it, it went well I thought the Dallas Cowboys came out of it the best because the Dallas Cowboys did what most lazy people do in fantasy football. They just go with the player that's ranked best at the top corner on the ESPN fantasy football thing. You need to pick this person. Just go for it. Just get the best guy. Uh, And I thought that was more, that to me was more entertaining than watching a team really kind of think this way. Get him. He's good. Get him. He's good. Get him. He's good. Because if you look at what they did with how they built their offensive line, I don't think Jerry Jones has now got patience to build a certain part of that team. I think he's done now. Uh, God bless him. He, you know, he's, the clock is ticking for Jerry to see his team once again lift the Lombardi trophy. Uh, so I think he's just going for just get the best players. Let's fill a squad of great players and we'll go for it. And then obviously there was a, the chat about all the quarterbacks uh, and where they were all going to go. I think they all went into the places that was expected. Uh, two are from Alabama, the Dolphins. I think that's a great fit. Mm. Uh, I think Joe Burrow at the Bengals is, well, it's got to be a great fit because they've got rid of uh, your man who went to the to the, to the the Bengals. Andy Dalton, uh, the Red Rifle. Yeah. Andy Dalton, yeah. So it's going to be interesting. I, I just thought as, as an event... Having no audience, but seeing everyone's living rooms, I thought that was fantastic. I thought it was I thought, great. I, I, yeah. I thought it was interesting. Other than the GMs, obviously, clearly never working from home. That's quite clear because most of them were in spare parts of the house. Um, 
I thought it was also interesting to see yeah, everyone thinks of this as like they get paid millions of dollars and you know to do this thing and you think everyone will live in elaborate houses like Cliff Kingsbury who's the only one that really lived in a, an extraordinary house that looked like something <laughs> something out of Scarface but that was outrageous I oh, I mean incredible I thought he Airbnb'd it but it turns out he owns the house which I thought was uh was bold and makes me want to move to Arizona if they all look like that where, but, I, yeah, but where has he got the money for that well, he's got paid like 11 million a year or something like that from Texas Tech for how many years? So oh, for not for not even being that good. <laughs> it's not like he brought a lot of success to Texas Tech. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I can feel myself stepping on quite quickly onto my sort box. <laughs> so Cliff's got that beautiful, beautiful, stunning home, right? That should yeah. be in Vogue Interiors magazine. If I, I don't think there is a Vogue Interiors magazine, but... <laughs> If ever there was, that's on the cover, three three editions in a row. It was oh, yeah. stunning, it really was. So you think of all the players that have gone through tech, Texas Tech under his reign and not earned a penny. I know. Well, a I'm glad penny. that's changed this year, that now they can start getting some money for image rights and um, and likeness. And, I mean, the, the biggest thing out of all of that is that we couldn't even get an NCAA game out of it because you couldn't give the players any money and you had outrageous i mean absolutely ridiculous given the the tv deals in there i'm not saying that kids of that age in school should be making millions or anything like that but you've got to give them the opportunity they are superstars in their own right who are making programs it's just about free trade if they end up if someone wants to buy one of their jerseys signed for 250 300 400 dollars what's wrong with that like, what, what is wrong? Who is losing from that scenario? If someone wants to pay for it, as long as all the right things are being done and all the laws are being followed, I just don't, you know, things like video games, why shouldn't they make a couple of hundred thousand dollars? You know, these kids are putting their bodies on the line. Most of them don't get to the NFL. It gives them I an opportunity to have a start at life. Like, they could yeah. open a business. They could they could just do something for doing something they enjoy. I mean, nah, just yeah, I'm, I'm with yeah. you on that. I, I'm glad they've changed it, but it's I, 10 I years know, I, too late. Yeah, I totally agree because the, the, the simple solution is, in my opinion, is set up a fund and say, right, if you're going to play however many years for this university or college, every season you get a small percentage of your shirt sales, your image rights, and we will put money into a fund that when you leave uh, university, college, whatever it is, we will enable you to start up either your own business uh, get involved in what any future venture you want to, we'll invest it for you. And that will be your, let's say, for example, your Texas Tech fund that will he- en- enable you throughout life to get drip fed extra cash. That's all it is. That's yeah. all it is, you know. But anyway, it, his house was amazing. His house was <laughs> amazing. And then you have someone like uh, Cliff Kingsbury, um, not Cliff Kingsbury, you have uh, Zach, Zach Taylor, who... I couldn't believe that Zach Taylor had a desk that looked worse than the desk I had when I was in university. Like I just looked at that and I was like, you could get that desk somewhere for, I don't know, 10 quid off, off free, you know, probably free cycle. He probably could have got that off free cycle. Someone could have just said, Oh yeah, I'm giving away this. It's I've used it for 20 years. It's awful. And you've just got some places that it just look, Matt McKish, Matt Patricia was draft was drafting off his kitchen. (laughs) Surely surely you've got a room that you i mean even i've got a room i don't live in a, a huge house or anything but at least i've got my bedroom that i can just shut off and go right okay i'm i'm recording or I'm, I'm, I'm on call so i'm doing this and and that's me for like it can't be that hard 
Bill Belichick looked like he was in a truck stop with his dog. Oh, by the way, I love that. I love the fact that he just still continues to want to avoid media appearances at all costs. He's willing to put his dog in a chair and say, right, let's make it look like he's the one making the picks. Uh, okay. I, I, yeah, I think uh, he's gone up in my estimations. Like, I, I, I mean, who? Yeah. anyone who's an anti-New England Patriot fan will despise Bill Belichick, but I just thought he was a miserable, cantankerous character. But when you watch him on those NFL 100 shows, no, where he's going through the great players, and the stories of him and Lawrence Taylor when he was defensive coordinator at the Giants, all that kind of stuff, you, you just think the guy is absolute class. He really is. And he he goes, I think he, he goes beyond Fergie for me. I think the way he was consistent... They, they, they run parallels in many things, you know, the, the constant changing of players, the constant changing of systems, uh, taking the superstars out of the equation and realising that we don't need them because it's all about the way we play the game. That is awesome. But I think the way that Bill carries himself in front of the media, no hassle, don't mess about with me, doesn't even do that Fergie stuff about the psychological element of the game. He just shuts it all out, just ignores it. Um, yeah, absolute quality. Absolutely. Quality. If people and haven't seen those NFL 100 shows, go and dive in and get involved because they are superb. Absolutely. And Game Pass is still free, I think, until the end of the month at the very least. I'm sure that will probably even get extended. So, yeah, get uh, definitely Game Pass do. and rinse it dry, please. Absolutely. you you got to. There's just so much good content on there at the moment and there's so many good shows that you can just dive into. And, and even those who just listen to the Around the NFL podcast, you, they're, they're televising every week on there. So there's loads of things you can, you can get into Game Pass. And the other thing about Bill, and, and I think what will always stand out for me with him, is he's managed to continually excel in a game that is designed to be equal for everybody. Everything about the NFL is, is equal. Um, salary cap, draft, everything is set to equalize so that you can't build a dynasty. Yeah, you might have a good team for two years, three years. Let's say you plan really well five years, but he's made the playoffs, what, 12, 13 times in a row. It's just phenomenal, probably even more than that, to to continually defy the odds again and again and again and continue to just be, he understands the system better than everybody. Consent, you know, can, you know, those extra draft picks you get, the compensatory picks you get, you know, the way that they work out that formula, they were the first ones on that, managing the cap, making sure that no player was being paid over 12% of the cap, regardless of whether they were Tom Brady, the greatest of all time, or, or anyone else. Getting rid of players who everyone thought was in their prime, but was at the start of the decline. Everybody having a wealth. There's not many players that left the Patriots and went on to have great careers. It's, it's, it's just a massive testament to, to, from everything from the bottom up as an organization. And people only hate them because they're successful the way people hated Man United. Like I did growing up, I hated Man United because... Uh, I'm an Arsenal season ticket holder and they used to beat us a lot. And th- that it's just a, a hatred because they... Hey, I'm a Bolton fan and we used to beat you a lot. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it, you did it when it was still like quite trendy. Now it's now it's just hope and season. <laughs> Everyone can turn up and have a go. <laughs> but enough about uh, the round ball. Let's get back to... Uh, Let's get back to the proper football. And I want to know, uh, or I guess everyone listening wants to know how you actually got into this because you've been a fan for a long time. So how did you end up, you know, becoming a fan of the NFL as, as early as you did and becoming effectively a huge fan and advocate for it? Yeah, I, it, it, it all started, basically, I, I blame school because I, I was, we had a, a PE teacher who was a great 
one of those teachers who you, you always sided with, you think, oh, yeah, he's, he's a great teacher, this, that, and the other. And then you realise that he was just a teacher who loved a cup of coffee, loved putting on his football boots, his football shorts and his anorak, but he hated teaching because he'd just say, right, off you go, two laps of all the football fields, we'll do cross-country for an hour and a half. You think, oh, my God, really? And then he'd say, right, cricket, we'll have a team over there, team over there, I'll go and put kettle on, I'll have a coffee, you lot play cricket. So... I, I kind of got bored of all your regular sports, you know, cross-country, football, cricket. Um, I, I'm, I'm not blowing me on trumpet, but I was, I was in first team of all of them and I hated it. I honestly genuinely hated it. I, I didn't like football. I hated and still do despise cricket. Controversial, I know, but it's the most boring sport in the world. And people say, yeah, but you like American football that goes on for three hours. Cricket goes on for five days. Get a grip. Get a grip. And the stars of the game, what do they do? They just stand up, they stand miles away from the actual game, waiting for the ball to come their way. <laughs> anyone, who, anyone who says cricket's a great game, I am up for the debate. <laughs> I am up for it 100%. 100%. Uh, any sport that needs another sport to do the warm-up, you watch cricketers, what do they do in the warm-up? Play football. Play football. Get a grip! <laughs> pathetic. Absolutely Pathetic. <laughs> anyway, let's stop there. Stop there before the cr- I get cricketers at my front door. Uh, uh, what was I saying? Yeah, so anyway, all those sports, I, I got a bit bored. And I used to do my homework on a Sunday evening. And I used to, I used to love watching the Wonder Years. I don't know whether our younger audience will remember no. it. But the young Wonder Years, if you can go back on YouTube and find, you've got to watch the first episode of the Wonder Years. Because the first episode was on in... 1986, I think it was, after the Super Bowl, Broncos versus the Giants. And it was a massive, massive, massive success, huge success. And it's about this kid's life growing up. And it's a little bit like what we've seen with Harry Potter. We've seen the development of Harry Potter. We watched the development and growth of this kid called Kevin Arnold through the 60s uh, and into the 70s. And it goes from him in in, uh, high school through uh, lower school, through to high school, and then into college. It's a brilliant show. But after it was American football. And I thought, oh, what's this? I love a bit of that. I really got into it. Loved everything, all the Americana, the glitz, the glamour. Uh, And we used to get half an hour highlights of the previous week's games, which is unheard of. Imagine that now. It's crazy. Half an hour of last week's games. Those were the highlights. Uh, And it just just drew me in. And because I'm quite obsessive-compulsive, I learned how to play. I learned the rules very quickly, learned about all the stars of the game very quickly, and then found a team called the Manchester All-Stars in 88 and played three seasons of kitted football with them and then moved on to Blackpool, played for the Files Falcons, then the rivals to the Manchester All-Stars, the Manchester Spartans, <laughs> and, then, and then quit because uh, I went to, went to college, university. And, you know, life took over and then got back into it with the Warriors at the tender age of 34, I think it was. That must have been some sore, some sore days out there. Doing yeah, it. very competitive, though. Very competitive. Uh, so, yeah, so that's how I got into it. And it's a sport that, like you said earlier on, it's always evolving. There's never one uh, team, or there wasn't back then, one team that was always winning, even though we had, you know, uh, the Giants... We had the Bills who, who never won it, but they were always there. We had the Broncos who were consistently good with the Browns, believe it or not, in the playoffs. Uh, the Giants won a couple. The Cowboys won a couple. And then, um, yeah, I kind of lost touch a little bit of it. But my interest was always there. But that's when you kind of 
throughout your late teens and early 20s, you know, you're grafting for money, you're looking for a job. And I moved to London uh, in 97 and then hedonism took over. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so yeah, that's how I got into the game. It's, it's it's amazing and you know i think it's probably not a bad decade to have missed out that 90s you basically have four years of, i know they're three rings but basically four years of, of dallas dominance and then at the end you had three or four years of broncos dominance so they're kind of in that 90s period there wasn't all that much you know the miami decline you had the the 49ers decline from being a good team to something that was distinctly average and you know, all these historic franchises kind of will not run to the ground, but they kind of went underground for quite a while in, in the 90s. Whereas, you know, I've gone back and started to watch a lot of it. I got into it in the year 2000 when I moved to Florida um, and I lived in Orlando and Tampa with the nearest team. And that's oh yeah, a friend of mine told me to join the fantasy football league. And I thought, well, I better start watching it if I'm going to if I'm going to join this league. And uh, that's how I, I got into it. And I went back and, and just kept watching games. And I always found the 90s is kind of that period. I mean, great players at Aikman. You know, you had some phenomenal players there, Mitt Smith. I mean, I love those Dallas teams of the 90s, don't get me wrong, and they were brilliant, but it was so one-sided. It was just unbelievable that they were able to amass so much talent and just be better than everybody else for that that period. And people that, that knock on, on Troy Aikman because his commentary is a little bit here and there, waffly, and I personally like him, but I, I know a lot of people that don't. He well, was a phenomenal I think, player. I think that, I think that is... Yeah, I th- I think what Tony Romo has done, mm. he's kind of he's done that thing that is in the media is the majority of the time is 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 unspoken of is you don't talk about the inner workings of whatever industry you're in. Do you know what I mean? Like the the, the dark secrets, the dark arts they they call it. And I think that's what Tony Romo has done. He's lifted the lid on football. You know, because it's obvious that he knows what's going on. He studied the teams like as if he was still playing against them, as if they were the opposition. He knows the calls because he's got a relationship with probably the majority of coaching staff in the league. He's played against the majority of coaching staff in the league. And he's done something quite sneaky and that he's literally opened the playbook to the audience that he's talking to, which is quite cheeky, really. You know, you it's... It's like talking about the inner workings of showbiz, you know, there's this, that and the other. But people just don't talk about it because it's not the done thing. And I think what we'll see now, because of Tony Romo's success, and if you look at the way that, uh, I think it's, is it NBC or Fox, who's tried to chase Peyton Manning? That's what they want from Peyton Manning. They're like, Matt, Peyton, give us an insight into the game. We want to know what you think the play is going to be before they step up to the line of scrimmage. Uh, but with Troy Aikman, I like Troy Aikman because he is, he's got that old school mentality that I think the game still needs. Yeah. I think it still needs that Madden-esque type character. Not that Troy Aikman is Madden, he's far from it, but he needs that Merlin Olsen type character. You know, those, uh, those Dick Enberg characters that, we, that were synonymous to football in the late 80s, early 90s. And I think him and Joe Buck make a great duo. You know? Absolutely, yeah. Um, and, I th- and I think that's the key is the chemistry as well. And that's what people yeah. don't realize. And people just see Troy Aitman now, people who didn't, who haven't gone back and watched the game and see Troy Aitman and just see him as a bit Dickensian. And actually he's, he's far from it. He just is a very professional person and you don't survive. And you'll know this better than anybody. You don't survive on television if you, if you're not good. I mean, we've exactly. seen it, we've seen exactly. it with Jason Witten and he ended up coming back to play. Booger McFarlane's gone, even though I don't mind Booger, but the situation he was put in was terrible with that yeah, Booger McFarlane type thing. But the problem, the, 
what, when people say to me, oh, how do you get into telly? All I say, just be yourself. Mm. You've got to be yourself because as soon as you step away from who you are or what you are, then what you're doing is lying. You understand what I'm saying? So yeah. if, if you're not yourself on telly, you're just BSing, you know, because you're trying to be something that you're not. And I think Troy Aitman is exactly who he is in real life. I've been fortunate enough to sit with him a couple of times and he is boring. It's as simple as that. But he, he in, in, a, in a really captivating way, because yeah. the way he speaks, it's just pure knowledge. Pure mm. knowledge of the game, pure knowledge of life. You know, his experiences come through. And I think his relationship with Joe Buck, they're, they're like the kids that sit at the front of the class, those two. Whereas Tony Romo, you know for a fact, he was at the back kind of going, ah! Yeah, yeah. Looking paper at everyone. And, and it's just two contra- contrasting styles. And I hope that other channels don't try to bring someone in who is a Tony Romo character because if everyone's the same, it will be boring. Yeah. You know, I like, I love listening and sitting and watching Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. I think they're a great partnership, but I love listening to Tony Romo, mm. you know, nice balance. I think Tony Romo is a good one to learn from, to learn more about the game, the X's and O's, but I exactly. think you can get too engrossed in all of that and actually miss what's going on. You know, they, they call them colour guys for a reason. You know, I think he's 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 a perfect person to be that second analyst, to one to explain and break down the play that you have just seen yeah. and help you understand what you're watching. And it's good that he does that. But sometimes, like the Super Bowl, it's such a massive event that actually you just want to enjoy the experience. For me, a Super Bowl is not something you should learn from at the time of watching it. Now, if he was to go and do a 40, you know, an all-in coaches film and explain every play afterwards, I think that would be amazing. (laughs) But I actually liked the coverage of of Aikman and Buck this year on the Super Bowl because they allowed you to enjoy the moment and they brought you into the moment. And sometimes if you're doing too much of the, and a bit contradictory because I love the X's and O's, I love learning and I'm always up for, for learning and getting better and improving my knowledge of the game even after watching it for 20 years. But sometimes you just want to enjoy the event as well. And I think you can, you can almost go a little bit beyond the point. And, and that's why I think you're right there with, with Aikman and, and Buck is they're great color guys. They just bring you in and it makes you feel like you, you're there and that's what they do. Yeah. That's their specialism. And then they give you the analysis at a time when the game's not on. So you can learn yeah. in the break and it keeps you engaged. It keeps you uh, uniformed, and I didn't hear one person moan about the coverage this year of, of this year's Super Bowl. And I, I get some of that's also down to the tone of the game. But yeah, the, you know, we, we were fortunate that it was a good Super Bowl. I think overall, and technology these days, the amount of cameras that every NFL game has covering the field, those color guys don't really have to say much because visually it's all explained for us. You know, the directors of these NFL games are literally magicians. They really are. And people like Troy Aikman and Tony Romo uh, and Joe Buck and the like, they just kind of join the dots, really. That's what, that's what they do. But they do it very, very, very well. And also, let's not forget, America is a very conservative country. Mm. So you can't go on a national broadcaster and lark around and crack jokes, drop a couple of innuendo, because it just doesn't work. No. It, it doesn't work in America. You know, you can't get away with it. You've got to be straight-laced straight down the, the, the camera and deliver what you're supposed to deliver. I've done three network shows in America and, it, and it's a completely different experience to working over here. 
I've done two for ABC and one for NBC. Uh, and they were most amazing experiences in my career. Uh, but also three of the most difficult shows that I've ever done because of the working environment. It took me a while to get used to it. Mm. You, know? you have to, you, I guess for someone like you, you have to remove a little bit of yourself or, or hold that back in order to deliver to the audience you're, you're listening to. And, and, exactly, and the- yes. But that goes back to my original point, what we talked about earlier on is, then you become someone that you're not. Mm. And that's where I felt uncomfortable. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's move into another area that might make you a little bit uncomfortable, and that's fantasy football. We have a yeah. fantasy football podcast. Um, yeah. We hear about it on the fumble all the time. Fletch is trying to fleece you for trades. And <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I hear some of those, and I'm like, please don't accept it. Please don't accept oh, it. He's no. literally, I'll throw you four players for this one for Sean Watson. I'm like, I hope you've never taken one off him. Before. No, I, I, I've never taken one off Fletch, but it got to the back end of last season and one of the guys in our league, we were both really miffed. And he he, he sent, uh, I think it was Julio Jones or, or Tyreek Hill my way. And I'm like, okay, I'll take that. <laughs> I think we're just taking the mickey at the end. Um, but last year's fantasy strategy didn't work for me at all. It didn't work. Uh, I kind of, I bombed out really early. I didn't get any top running backs, didn't get any top receivers. So I then drafted four or five of the top quarterbacks in a row because I thought they're going to want quarterbacks. Yeah. You know? So I just took all the quarterbacks. Drew Brees got injured. That didn't work. Uh, Matt Ryan was dreadful beginning of the season. That didn't work. Um, I think I, I, I got rid of... Uh, I think it was Tom Brady for some third string wide receiver. So that didn't work. Uh, So that backfired. So last year was a complete write-off. I didn't even make the playoffs last year, but the previous year I made the final. And what I've learned from fantasy football is instead of looking at players, obviously it's it's very important to look at players and their performances and, and their averages. But I think it's equally as valuable spending time looking at the NFL schedule, finding out who's playing who. Because if you've got a third string wide receiver, let's say, for example, the wide receivers at Indianapolis. All right, they've got T.Y. Hilton asking for more money at the moment. Is he worth it? I don't know. But they've brought Philip Rivers in. I would be looking at the Colts schedule and thinking, is there any value in their wide receivers at the moment? Who are they going up against? Who are they playing? What strong or weak defences are they playing? And I think that's something that kind of goes... Um, underestimated is really analyzing <clears throat> excuse me looking at schedules and then picking players that fit those schedules yeah I, I definitely agree with that I think there's an element of that where you could almost go too far because we don't know who the good teams are and who the bad teams are it almost yeah. takes three or you four get, weeks you've got a general idea you've got a general idea of, of who's who especially if a quarterback is sticking around you know those the, the big quarterback moves Rivers and Brady for example I mean Look at that Tampa Bay offense. Oh, my God, it is loaded. And I can't wait. <laughs> it, it is loaded. The, the big question that I've not read about yet is Brady's arm strength because he's got a core of wide receivers that can get downfield. Can Brady get it downfield is the big question. There's nothing to suggest he can't. No, but he hasn't done for the past two or three seasons. And that comes to, is it scheme or or is it talent? I mean, when you look at his average yards, Yards per attempt, they've been steady, round about the sort of um, 6.5, 7 yards per attempt. But how much of that is, one, the personnel around him to get downfield? Edelman's not a downfield guy, and they've not really had a field stretcher. Edelman is hard as nails. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Right, I, mean, I, I would put Ed, Edelman in the ring with anyone. He's like a pit bull. Mm-hmm. He's, he's unbelievable. He really is. I mean, that guy runs so many in routes. I'm surprised his career is still as efficient and fruitful as it is because he gets beat up. Yeah, he's a great player. He really is like one of my all-time favorites for toughness. Absolutely, yeah, he is. He'll probably do well on Tampa when he makes a when they make a trade and he'll come down and join the rest. It, it of wouldn't the surprise game. me. It wouldn't surprise me. So you know, you can ask yourself, uh, Godwin uh, and Evans. Do they like running inside routes? Can Brady get it to them in the flats, short routes? You know, uh, those are the questions that we'll be asking. Obviously, Gronkowski's there, so. Scheming that team is going to be difficult from a defensive coordinator's point of view because, like I said, they're just loaded with weapons. It's going to be exciting to watch. I, I put money on them making the playoffs and winning the division. I think they make the playoffs. I'm not so sure on the division. I think you can't look past New Orleans with what they've got. Um, but we'll see. It all depends on the start and it depends on, on we're not going to have much in OTAs. How quickly is that team going to gel and how quick can they get out of the blocks? Because there's a realistic scenario that the Buccaneers could have a losing record by, by week five, week six, and then come on strong. And then that late bye week, whilst it's normally a quite a good omen, if you are a team charging towards the playoffs could stifle that momentum. If they come on, go into the bye with a couple of wins. And then also the other factor is they're on prime time a lot, five games on prime time. So they're going to have, a couple of mini buys, which is great, but they're also going to have a couple of really short weeks where yeah. they go from the Thursday to the, you know. It, it wouldn't surprise me if Tom Brady is already having social distancing barbecues with his <laughs> oh, no. receivers. Do you know what I mean? And say, Look, oh, 100%. Guys, just go, just go, just go and, you, you're on that barbecue over there, which is 20 yards away. You're on that barbecue over there, which is 30 yards away. And Gronk, you're on the barbecue that's 10 yards away. I'm just going to throw footballs at you while you eat. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. And I think they're gonna. They're gonna have a lot of fun. And you, do you know the the one thing about it is, for, as a Tampa fan for the last twelve years, there was. It's been exciting the last few. We've been in games. We've been high scoring. The offense has been, you know, at least active. And then you watch all the defensive stuff, the in, the interceptions and everything. But really, it's not been fun for a while. The last couple of years gave you a bit of hope. But really, you know, we went from. You know, Raheem Morris, Lovey Smith, uh, Greg Schiano, and it was just trying. It, there was no plan. It was we're going to bring guys in that we think are going to change the culture, and it would always go from one extreme to the other. And it just went, and then we brought in Dirk Cutter, and it was like, well, we'll go all out on offense, and yeah. don't worry about the defense. If we score thirty-five points a game, and then do you know what? We score thirty-two points a game and still lose. It at least now is a remnants of a plan. It's taken too long. You know, you can't fire a coach like John Gruden and not have a plan. And I think that's where they went wrong. And that's why they were terrible for so many years. And, you know, they just now need to come up with a way in which they can get into the playoffs, break that duck, build some confidence, build the culture. Culture there a couple of years ago was a joke. Um, When the the season dirt cutter got fired, you know, they lose 15 to three to the Washington Redskins, despite putting up 500 yards of offense. And then you have guys coming out in the locker room, playing ping pong and laughing them out with the music loud. That's not a, that's not a locker room that's built for success. It's just not, that's not how things are done. And I'm looking forward to, to things changing. And I think there's a few teams that are starting to make those changes that will make it exciting. I think this year, if, if we get started, will be the, a great year in terms of all the moves, but I think, I, but it's, it, it is, it is a tough division. 
You know, like if you look at like the Falcons, it, they're no like, joke. They are no joke. They're, I mean, I, I've always said it, and I got a friend who who works at the Falcons. He said that Julio Jones could play any position in an NFL team and probably be better than seventy five percent of the starters. That's a statement. <laughs> He's that much of a beast. He's an absolute weapon. And they've every every starting player in the offensive 11 is a first-round draft pick. Yeah. Uh, I mean, some of them have been successes and some of them Crazy. have not. But, you know, like Treadwell, for example. But, yeah, they, they do have a lot of successful weapons there that, that are going to be scary. Yeah. I don't think that it's going to be tough for the Panthers having a guy who's never coached in the NFL before. With a new quarterback, I mean, yeah, Christian McCaffrey is a great player, but carry, can he carry the team? Let's see. Uh, and then the Saints are the Saints. I think Drew Brees. I think it'll be his final year this year, so he's got a lot to prove. It'd be great if he could take the Saints to the Super Bowl. It really would. Uh, wow. With the Super Bowl being in Tampa, it's just it's written in in the in the stars. It really is. It is, and I, I hope it happens. But we'll wait and see. But touching on a point you made earlier about schedules i think that's something that fantasy players especially over here probably don't pay enough attention to so um stocks and i have a book that's coming out uh first of june to help fantasy football players um i did a lot of work on streaming and in terms of picking up waiver wire players and the thing i hate about waiver wire articles from the u.s is they tell you about these amazing players you can pick up off the waiver wire that are 70 percent owned if you play with anybody that's savvy They've got those players. They already yeah. exist. Like, it's, what's the point of reading a waiver wire article? Like, he's not available. He's not available. He's not yeah. a player. So I looked at thirty percent owned. So in in leagues where you've got very good players, those players might still be taken. But actually, for the most part, for most players, those those players every week should still be available. I streamed every week. I was able to stream. So there's certain positions you don't need to invest much draft capital on quarterbacks. You know, I streamed the second overall quarterback behind Lamar Jackson. It beat every other quarterback, just streaming 30% owned quarterbacks every week. DSTs, kickers, tight ends. They're not positions you need to invest in because you look at those schedules. By week four, week five, you definitely know who the good defenses are. And I like also what you said about looking at third wide receivers. Part of what's unpopular in fantasy football is to take the second wide receiver on bad offensive teams. You looked at Miami last year and you looked at a guy like Preston Williams. He was on the waiver wires pretty much up until he got injured, but yeah. he was productive. And because they, they got things going when Ryan Fitzpatrick was in there, Devontae Parker would get double teamed. He'd be unproductive. And you'd get someone like Preston Williams putting up numbers. Anthony Miller in the Bears towards the end of the season. He's been playing with injuries. He's a guy I think is going to, now I think he's healthy, could be massive this year. But no one will invest much in him because it's, you know, the stigma of Trubitsky and you've got <laughs> Alan Robinson will take everything. Well, Adam, Alan Robinson's going to get double teamed. He'll still get his. He'll still be the lead receiver. But you're going to have weeks against teams, especially poor defenses, where Anthony Miller's going to eat and he's going to eat big because he's already done it. He can do it. Marvin Jones of Detroit is another one. Just these guys get massively slept on. They're available in the ninth or 10th round, 11th round, even 12th round of drafts. But actually finding those guys, picking them up every week because these guys tend to be available, playing them for a week or two in those matchups, that's a real way that you can get an advantage in fantasy football. I've got the numbers to, to back that up. And I think it's something that people don't do. And that's where the savvy players can really 
pick up a difference. And it is by looking at the schedule, looking at the bye weeks, looking at when your team are playing, your starter is playing a number one ranked or number two or three ranked defense. And then actually thinking, well, I'll, I'll get a guy. And it's hard for me to drop a Julio Jones this week. Or it's hard for me to drop a Christian McCaffrey against the, the Buccaneers. But they're the number one ranked defense against the run. So maybe I, I that's a hard example, but maybe someone yeah. like a Kenyon Drake or someone like a, you know, the, uh, Nick Chubb. These might be guys you need to bench for a week uh, when they're playing against good defenses and find that opportunity on the waiver wire. And, and they're there. Yeah, I think, I think something that you touched on there, which, which is something I've got to get used to, is being and feeling attached to players. You know, in fantasy, that's something that fantasy players really do get a hold on and a grasp really early. You know, they have this affection for certain players. And that's why Darren is giving his dues. He's a very, very good fantasy football manager. His affection for players is pretty non-existent. You know, he's like, yeah, I am going to drop this guy. Like, Really? Yeah, yeah, you watch. He's going to bomb this this game, and he does. Mm. And then, like you said, Darren will have some second-string receiver in there or a third-string running back, and they'll be picking up points. Um, so I think rule number one is, for me, is check your schedule and don't become emotionally attached to players. Yeah. It doesn't matter who they are. If you can separate yourself emotionally from you know, a player, um, then your fantasy team will be successful. 100%. And there's no better feeling than watching Red Zone and having yeah. your fantasy team in front of you. I mean, come on, perfect Sunday night. Do you know that's what um, Scott Hansen does himself when he's actually broadcasting? We had him on last year and he's so into fantasy football. It's, it's mad. It's so competitive. He has his team up. He is checking when, when the I'm show's on. <laughs> Sometimes you can tell because he does get excited when he says, okay, for all you fantasy managers out there. Uh, I think that's his favourite strand. I do like Scott Hansen. I think... He's from, a a TV, bloke. from a TV uh, host perspective, that's one of the most... Him and Jeff Stelling do pretty much the same job, let's be honest. Yeah. And it's the most difficult thing ever because you've got people in your ear telling you what's happened in certain games, giving you facts and stats that you've got to then relay to the audience. Uh, I do believe that Scott's got several monitors in front of him and yeah. Jeff's got a couple in front of him. So you've got... I mean, to sit there from midday US time up to the late games, he must be knackered, absolutely oh, yeah. shattered, because he's constantly talking, you know. And, and, and if you think about it, they only, it's called a red zone for a reason. They go to the games when they're in the red zone. So a team is, is only in the red zone for a very short period of time. And when they stop, because it's all action on red zone, Scott goes to another game. So he never really gets a chance to have 10 minutes off, no. you know, because they don't start uh, covering a game at the beginning of the drive. So he's like, all right, here we go. They've scored. Let's go to another game. They've scored. Let's go to another game. These yeah. have just entered the red zone. Let's stick with this game. And then let's go double backs. Let's go triple backs. Let's go quick <laughs> backs. <laughs> so uh, he's got information coming from every angle. He, he is just a revelation. And, it, you know, he was part of the team that originally set up red zone. He was part of the key idea. I just think it's, it's a brilliant thing. And it shows it can be done. Um, I know Amazon tried to do something similar over Christmas with the Premier League. I thought it was good. I think it could be better, but I thought for a first attempt, it was it was pretty good. And I, I hope that we get something like that for the for the Premier League. Because I think the one thing this whole thing, this whole pandemic, everything's told us is that 
there's an appetite for having multiple games on at the same time, three o'clock games, streaming. People don't want to be paying a hundred pounds for subscription services. Premier League can do a Prem Flix or whatever they want to do it, charge 20, 30 pound a month, and everyone will pay it because it's cheaper than what they're doing now and it's all in one place. And yeah. maybe that's the route we go in the future. Who knows? I think we'll see what happens with this paying broadcaster money back and, and all of that. I think it's all going to have a knock-on effect to eventually getting to that streaming service. But American sports in terms of television is just streets ahead. The way that they produce it, it's a production. It's not it's just... Entertainment. It is entertainment. It, whatever you watch, whether it's the NBA, whether it's hockey. Entertainment. Like I, I've, I've been... I do the... Uh, I work for the European Tour on on this a couple of formats that they've got to they call them their innovation project. So the golf sixes, where it's just six holes, and Hero Challenge, which is like a par three, uh, hundred yard shot, and it's all about driving uh, young people into the sport, getting people's young people's attention. You can play six holes of golf, competition style, and then it only takes forty five minutes. You're done. You're off. You're gone. Simple as that. And then the, the, the Hero Challenge is all about the razzmatazz, the glitz and the glamour of that week's event. So you bring the stars down and you say, look, it's only 100 yards, have a bit of fun, a bit of cash involved, thanks for coming. Uh, we'll, we'll smash it out on the socials. And what happened with that was a friend of mine who used to do, he created all the games for I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. He was the games producer and he's, he was the games producer on a couple of shows that I've done, uh, Hall 19 Yards and Beat the Star. And I think he was involved briefly in no, it wasn't Family Forge. It was something else that I've known. I've known Matt for a very, very long time. And he said, look, I, I, I started doing these formats for the European tour. Do you fancy doing them? I'm like, yeah. And my, my point is, is, is that they've taken golf and taken it, or those formats, they've taken the, those golf formats out of the sports realm and put them into the entertainment realm. And it's, they're both, both of those worlds are, great worlds independently of each other. When you bring them together, like the Americans do with their sports, I think it's a fantastic recipe. It really is. But it's something that we're not quite used to in this country because we're quite possessive and we're very territorial mm. in the UK. We're, you know, with, with our relationship with football in particular is one of a, a it's a tribal relationship. Yeah. You know, it, it's kind of, we beat our chest because I'm going to go and watch the Wanderers or, yeah, I'm, I'm going down... East London, watch the Appiamas, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas in America, we don't get that because it's entertainment. Yeah. You know, you get passionate fans, yeah. And you get beard up idiots, yeah. But that happens everywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. But the way they see it, it's, okay, I'm going to sit here for three hours. I'm going to watch a game of NFL. It's up to you to entertain me. Absolutely. And that ties me in nicely to our next topic in terms of the NFL in the UK. So we've had games here now for the last 12, 13 years. Um, we're not getting games this year, which completely understandable and I know some fans are a bit anxious about what happens to season tickets and are they going to get bumped are we going to ever see a game at Wembley again or is it all going to be at Tottenham I think they're all questions down the road there's bigger priorities right now I think we all sit with the we all want a season and if that means we've got no games in England then then so be it because the season is the most important but what do you think that the UK offering is missing in comparison to that US experience whether it's at the games or or the broadcast or just anything in general do you think there's just something that we haven't quite gotten that's we talked before the podcast you mentioned this was still quite an exotic sport but to make it, it is growing it's the fastest growing sport in Europe but to make it that mainstream to where 
it becomes a, a family event and it becomes that thing that overtakes almost every other sport and I don't think it ever overtakes football but I think it will overtake most sports it will, it will never overtake football in this country no. never uh, because that's our that's our number one sport that's what, that's what drives our media in the UK is football yeah uh, you know it's very rare that football isn't on the back page of any tabloid or broadsheet it's interesting that you ask me what are we lacking because usually I get asked how do you think it's going and we always start with a positive I would never, ever, 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 ever play down anything that Alistair Kirkwood and the NFL UK office... I know, absolutely not. Because I think to go from the American Bowls in the late 80s, where we had one regular season game at Wembley in front of 95,000 people, to now having four regular season NFL games in the UK, two at Wembley, two at Tottenham, I think that was a pipe dream. And to me, I still pinch myself when I go to those games, thinking, oh my God, we're going to actually see... Hard physical football, whereas the American balls, you could tell some players were like, business decision, there's no way I'm putting my head in the spokes on this one. You know, it wasn't going to happen. Um, I think the thing for me now is I think football in this country has come full circle. Okay, so because of digital data, we could do a lot of analysis on who's watching, their demographic, when they watch, how long they watch for what team they support, what they talk about, this, that and the other. One thing that I haven't noticed for a very long time is someone telling newcomers to American football what a first down is. What's a first down, what's a second down, what's a third down? I think we've stepped so far away from explaining the rules that it could become detrimental because now we expect people to know what the game is all about. And I think the UK audience has plateaued. I think people that want to find American football have found it. I think that the demographic of my age, I don't think they'll come back to it if they've not stuck with it. You know, the fans from the 80s. Yeah. I think we need to generate a, a new audience by teaching them how to play the game so that they can go into the playgrounds and play it. It's all well and good having flag tournaments and this, that and the other, but that's not, no disrespect to flag players. That's not football in my eyes. No. That's like playing TIG. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So let's go out there. Let's teach the kids the rules of the game. Maybe it is using the mechanic of flag football. I apologise. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, let's get out there. Let's teach the sport. Let's get them into the rules. Let's get them into uh, basic defensive knowledge, offensive knowledge, all that kind of stuff. And then let's start again. I think we've come full circle. Let's start again. Let's start churning out those how-to videos. What is this? What is that? Who are the stars of the game? And off the back of that, or maybe at the front of that, you have the lifestyle of American football. Because people like Odell Beckham, you know, whether you like him or not, he's a style icon. Kids love his trainers. Kids love the way he carries himself. They love his watches. They love his attitude because he's a personality and that's what drives mm-hmm. drives uh, the game. It drives uh, content. It drives uh, people's acceptance of the sports and people's neglect of the sport. So I think we have to delve into the lifestyle more of, of the game and, and say, look, our footballers over here have great cars, but also American footballers have fantastic cars and, and great houses and compare the two. And, um, yeah, I, th- I think the NFL UK is always doing a great job. But I think we've stepped away from not teaching the game, is the answer to your question. <laughs> I, I think that's fair. And, and I completely agree. It, it didn't mean to come from a, a negative place because I think it's unbelievable. We had Alistair on um, a few months ago. He was telling us about how it's gone from, you know, the last 15 years from this being a dream to getting a game, to getting two games, to getting four games, into to having a purpose-built stadium, to having an academy. And I hope that the academy is that thing of 
that gets kids excited because I did some of the press events for the teams that came over this year and went to their practices and they got some of the local school kids and they gave them mini helmets and some flags and they got to meet some of the players. And I think that's, that's good. It's a good start, but how do you bridge getting a a seven-year-old, eight-year-old into the game to getting them thinking about we could get into this academy and potentially play the sport because I think it's it's what you say is right is it's about playing it and having it because it's no good watching a game if you can't play it it's very hard to get 22 people together uh, and do that amongst your friends when it's still a exotic sport so it's how do we ingrain that and the culture of, of this generation and the academy I hope is the way that we do that we expand that out we get legends of the game like Jerry Rice who's doing it now coming over telling them about the game teaching them about it but doing it at a younger age, almost like a pre-academy type thing. Yeah, but let let me stop you there, right? Because all of that's in London. Yeah. Everything's in London. If you you want to spread a message, what do you do? You, you know, go out and spread the word. Everything comes from London. Mm. You know, the next academy should be Manchester, Birmingham, Glasgow. You know, get it out there. And and it, it does wind me up that we have two London games. Why have two games in London? You've built a stadium with Tottenham Hotspur. The next game should be at Old Trafford. You know, pay, pay yeah. United or pay Liverpool. Say, look, we're going to ruin your field, but we're going to compensate you. You know, and actually, it's not going to be that bad because grass technology these days is phenomenal. Yeah. You know. Or even uh, there's a halfway house somewhere like Birmingham, which is accessible to more people. And then you, you, you just pile yeah. it out. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, bite the bullet, have it at St. James's Park, because you know for a fact that half of that stadium will be full of Scots. Yeah, 100%. You know, uh, yeah, Scottish Scottish football fans are brilliant and they're they're in their droves up there. So I think if I was, if I was in that NFL UK office or if I was head of international in New York, I'd be saying, how can we get the NFL out of London and into Great Britain out there? You know, let's get it out there uh, and really expand the footprint of the NFL because it, it, it does great me a little bit that we have two four games and two all four of them are in London in two different venues just have two games at Tottenham because you've paid for that facility I don't know what the contract deal is with Wembley there's obviously a Jaguars deal somewhere I think it expires this year yeah so I think this was the last year get out there go and see if you can find another stadium somewhere that can accommodate 80,000 people that's willing to bite the bullet surface wide because no Premier League team is going to give away that field if they're doing well. No. Do you know what I mean? If they're doing well, because of the uproar that the NFL or the backlash that the NFL got, I think there was a couple of England internationals that were quite important. Uh, That's what they were qualifiers and then the pitch was, yeah. was really run down yeah, and then people were yeah. yeah, and people were mourning and you could still see the NFL insignia. So it, it was, you couldn't hide the fact that it was the NFL that ruined the field. Uh, but yeah, let, I, I think we. I, my view is let's get the game out of London. Let's really, really push it, you know. Because if you look at, and I know that the British American Football League doesn't come into the equation too much, but you know the rise of Tamworth Phoenix has been brilliant. Uh, they've really put their foot <clears throat> in the in the London pool, I guess, with the Blitz and the Warriors. Uh, Edinburgh have always had a good team. So let, let's 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 try and get out of London. I think is the next step for me. It might be two, three years time, but at least 
we can get it out there. Do you think then there's a market now that the XFL has folded, the AAF failed, we used to have back in the, the 90s, you know, the NFL Europe, and then we saw some great players come out of that, Brad Johnson, uh, Kurt Warner, most famously, probably uh, export of, of players that came out of that. A sort of you get an NFL Europe or maybe just a couple of countries, but with multiple teams in each country. So maybe you do it. The most passionate areas like the UK, Germany, we know they've got amazing NFL support there. The, the, um, the Warriors played a game in Frankfurt, uh, a postseason game in Frankfurt, and there were 15,000, I think 18,000 people there. Yeah, they've got a massive appetite. We see them in, in the London games all the time coming over and spending thousands of pounds to, to come and do that. And I, I definitely think that international games, if they make an international series, Germany's the next place with along maybe Brazil. I think they're going to be the next two because they're constantly up there in terms of the amount of people that are tuning in to, yeah. to the product. But do you think then that they, there is a scope to do a developmental league that will get people excited, that will trickle down to maybe Britball and, and everything else? In, the, in this country, you mean? In this country, or even just a, 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 a split between three or four countries in Europe? Yeah, I, I've thought about this, and I think, I think the academy is the best place to start because uh, instead of having a development league, like if, if a player is discovered, if an American football player is discovered in his mid to late 20s, then something's wrong because NFL scouts are everywhere. You know, NFL scouts are scouting high school kids. They're pointing colleges in the right direction. Colleges are doing the same. Uh, you know, it's another one of those unspoken things that it happens. You know, kids get talked about on all kinds of levels when it comes to scouting. So I think a development league, there's no need for a development league. What we need is we need to enable kids. This is why the academy is such a good thing. We, ena- we, we need to enable kids to have the right skill sets to be able to go and play in high school or college. So I think if we can have uh, an academy in London, one in Wales, let's say South Wales, North East, North West, Scotland, where we can pool all our talent together and therefore the talent doesn't have to leave home at 16. You know, they can still reside with their parents. Uh, they can get a qualification, you know, NVQ, more GCSEs, AS levels, but also learn American football and then when they get to 18, we can go and place them in college. Or if the NFL chooses, maybe five, 10 years down the line, we start the academy at 11, you know, and then we give kids a chance to get some GCSEs and then go into high school. Yeah. And then we drip feed Brits into the college system. Because for me, we've had a handful of kids play in the British American Football Leagues and they've gone on to play in Europe. A couple have gone on uh, into the regional combines and they've done all right, but they've not been selected. The guys that we've put in, the British guys that are in the NFL at the moment have either gone through the college system or are already professional athletes. Mm. You know, Christian Wade, apparently he's blooming now in in Buffalo. uh, And he's got the chance to to make a real impact this next upcoming season. So I think the academy needs to kind of, my opinion is the academy will need to start earlier. So therefore we can educate the kids with a regular education but also enable them, you know, take cricket and cross-country out of the equation <laughs> because they're useless, uh, and then just teach them pure American football. I think that's a great idea. I think, and I think that there's going to be something in the pipeline. You don't just plump for an academy and think that oh, that academy is just a, a gateway of the best talent in the country 
to get into the NFL. They, they, there's clearly got to be a longer plan that will come out of this. And, and let's hope that they goes down the route you're saying, because I think it makes a lot, a lot of sense. Um, and I certainly hope that that is more what we're looking to do than just using it as a springboard to get a team here full-time, because I don't think the fans in this country want a full-time team here. I think no. they'd rather have the games, whether it's two, four, eight, whatever it is in the future. I think they'd rather just see their teams over here. Yeah, I, I think I've been sat on the fence for a while because I've been thinking about it. And I and at first I thought, yeah, it'd be good to get a franchise. But then I was thinking about, I think the 13, 14-year-old me was thinking, yeah, an NFL franchise here, yeah. You know, the London Jaguars or the London Warriors. <laughs> uh, but then... I thought, but as a fan, I want to see all the stars in the NFL. Yeah. And I would pay good money, hard-earned cash, to buy an eight-game season ticket for 16 different teams. Um, or yeah. 10 different teams. Yeah. Six, uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, whether it would work, I don't know. I think that's another thing, another development idea. And I'm sure Alistair and the NFL office in New York have thought about building a permanent practice facility in the UK along, maybe alongside Tottenham Hotspur and and Watford, you know, on the cusp of London uh, where they do have an all accommodating facility for 68 guys, 50 odd guys where they can train, uh, you know, more food than the chefs ever cooked. (laughs) You know, it's these logistic things that we've really got to think about. And I, and, and I have no doubt in my mind that the NFL has thought about building a, a, a facility, a specific facility for an American football team to come over, spend a couple of weeks, reside there, train there, mm. uh, swimming pool, you know, clubhouse, that kind of thing, all encompassing so that they feel comfortable, they get rid of the jet lag, they can eat American food, a bit like an American Air Force base, you know. Yeah. And then come into London play the games, maybe back-to-back. Who knows? But I think that's the next step. The next stage is, what do we want? The NFL will make a decision of whether we're going to have a team or whether we're going to have an all-encompassing season ticket, and then they'll build a facility. I think that's, uh, yeah, it makes complete sense, and let's hope that happens. Just a couple of minutes left. It'd be brilliant if it did, because that's where they'd move the academy. Yeah. You know. And and then then you've got the opportunity to get more people in and more people involved. Well, you've, you've then built an education facility. So you've built a campus pretty much. You know, NFL, NFL UK Academy is basically where the NFL teams come for the London games. So just moving on to, I think they're all valid points about the academy. I think it's the way that we can get the, the game growing and get more people involved and, and expand upon what is already a great product here. But let's look forward to, to this season now. I guess one of the things is we, we've talked about the Bucks a fair bit. So as much as I'd love to talk about the Bucks all day, <laughs> um, I, I'd probably get shot by stocks if, if I did that. Who, who are some of the teams that you're going to be keeping uh, an eye on this year based on what you've seen from the schedule so far and, and some of the players that you'll be looking to keep an eye on? Well, I think we're, we're no, this is the first year of the new generation, as we've been calling it. You know, Philip Rivers has moved on. Eli Manning has retired. Drew Brees is hanging on. Brady's moved away from the iconic Patriots down to South Florida or West Florida, gone to Tampa Bay. It's the it's the reign of the new kings. You know, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes. We've got some good rookies coming in. 
be interesting to see how Joe Burrow gets on. Tour in Miami. So I think from a fan's perspective, like now would be the perfect time to get into American football. Absolutely. Because you've got rid of the old guard. They are they are gone. This is a fresh new start for leaders of these American football teams. I think Patrick Mahomes to come to come into the league and, and create quite the stir that he has, win a Super Bowl early on his in his career. He started a legacy already. He's he's without doubt going to be the most valuable player in the league if he can stay healthy. And I think that's important to him. I think Andy Reid, there's a lot of pressure on Andy Reid to to try and keep Patrick in the pocket or there or thereabouts. Yeah. And I think the teams that I would be, I'm intrigued to see what's going to happen on, happen with the Raiders in Las Vegas. I mean, if you, imagine in the 1960s and 70s, or let's go to those hedonistic days of the late 70s, early 80s, right? Where the Raiders were the wild boys of the NFL. And you said, right, we're going to move you guys to Vegas. You're like, really? Us? Yeah. You're going to take this bunch of rag <laughs> to Las Vegas? Uh, I think I would imagine that there's going to be one heck of a waiver in the contracts of every player that goes and plays for Las Vegas Raiders. <laughs> you know, there's got to be a curfew in there because the training facility isn't that far from the centre of Vegas by all accounts. No. And the guys are going to be living there. And we all know the reputation that Las Vegas has. It's, it's been the same rep- uh, reputation since the first casino was built. It's wild. It really is. So I'm intrigued about that. I'm intrigued to see how the NFL copes with its loosening of gambling laws. Mm. That's going to have a massive impact on the game. Not the on-field stuff, but if it's not dealt with cotton wool hands, I think... Uh, Roger Goodell has to approach this with cotton wool gloves because mm. we talked about America being a really conservative country you slowly introduce gambling into the NFL you're possibly throwing fuel on the fire mm. so that's intriguing for me on field stuff Brady of course uh, big story because I, I, I love Tom Brady I, I honestly mm. do I, I think he's an absolute god uh, to me he's the perfect sportsman Personally, because he's tall, he's gangly, he shouldn't be an athlete, but yet he's the greatest to ever have played the game. Do you know what I mean? And he's got that inner spirit of wanting and needing to win. I mean, everyone who likes American sport, I'm sure they're watching The Last Dance. It wouldn't surprise me, it wouldn't surprise me in 20 years' time that a documentary is made where Tom Brady comes out as a Michael Jordan character. Yeah. You know, loved by many liked by just a few. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. I think he is. If you look at the icons of, of every big American sport, there is a handful that you can put in that bracket of truly great. And you're talking Michael Jordan, Jordan who we've got this last dance documentary, which I'm addicted to and, and love. You'll probably throw LeBron James in there when he's done. Yeah. But there's Hope, some of these people that... Yeah. You, you, you can't be nice all the time. And if you want to win, people need a, a size 12 up the ass. Absolutely. Um, and they're people that set a culture. Yeah, they do. You're right. Yeah, that's what it's all about, setting the culture. It's interesting you said that because I, I, I started doing work with O2 
at the back end of Stuart Lancaster's career as the coach of England rugby. And Eddie came in. And one thing that Stuart wanted to do when he came in as head coach was change the culture. So he'd taken over the team after that fateful incident of Manu jumping off the boat in New Zealand, you know, throwing dwarves at target boards, all that kind of thing. By the way, every other team in that tournament was also in that bar throwing dwarves at the target board. But our lovely British press just went for us. It's all about culture. It's all like Stuart Lancaster, I watched him give this speech. He said, the first thing I'm going to do is change the culture of this team. I'm going to breed a team of winners. And he did, but he did it with an iron fist. Eddie came in, he puts Dylan Hartley as captain, naughty boy of, of the uh, of British sure. rugby. And you're like, oh, hang on a minute, this is good. That, that's sending out a message. And that's what he did, he changed the culture. He, he took a lot of lads, told the lads, be yourselves, but on the field, you're going to do what I tell you. And it worked. Yeah. So I think those, those characters that you mentioned, that's what they do. They're, they're the hub of the culture within the teams. And I think uh, as a Bears fan, I think uh, the Bears defence has really got to step up or keep that momentum going uh, and, and really prove or give the offence the chance to grow on the field. I don't think, I don't think our quarterback is done just yet. I think Nick Falls will put a lot of pressure on him, but I still think he'll start. I think it's make or break now, isn't it? You're bringing in a Super Bowl MVP in, in Nick Foles, but you know, the, the, all credit to Nick Foles and, and everything he's achieved in his career, but he's never been a sustained starter, but he is someone he's who can started. challenge. No, I mean, and when he was uh, in uh, for the Rams and for Philly, it, it didn't work. And that's that's what people always tend to forget. Um, but, but by starter, I mean, he, he was never a quarterback that you go, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, he, a quarterback. he's in the top 15, 20 in the, in the position in the league. So... And and that and I think that's what's key is for Trubitsky, this is now it's no longer comfortable. I think last yeah. season everything was about Trubitsky's gonna kick on this year. And I think a little bit of that probably went to his head and now it's a case of right, you either you're put up or you're out. Yeah. I he, did think it was interesting that they didn't give him the fifth year option. Yeah, exactly. Well that, that speaks volumes, doesn't it? Yeah. Because I think if you pass on Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson and you take a quarterback who's not performing very well, there's, there's a lot of blood on the table. You know? yeah. uh, so I think Mitchell Trubisky has got to step up. Obviously, they have to aid him and make the team, the offence, better. But he's really got to show his mark now, or else he will be out the door, without doubt. Yeah, and I, and I don't think he gets another job, unfortunately. If, no, if I, things... I, I, I think, in hindsight, and I can't remember whether both were available at the same time, I don't think they were. But I think Cam Newton would have been perfect for the Bears. Yeah. I really do. I think a, a big physical presence, I think he could have done a lot with that Chicago Bears offense. Well, I mean, he's still available. It could still happen. Yeah. <laughs> you, you never know what happens in the next few months. And I think the only thing holding up Cam is his physical because he can't get one because of what's going on. Yeah. But it's going to be an interesting year for the Bears and, and Ryan Pace, uh, especially. Um I think he's he's really on the on the hot seat now to to justify his selections and the Khalil Mack trade. He's got to be a leader this year. He's got to really make some some noise. Where do you think the Bears end up looking at their schedule? What, what's your gut telling you? I'm not, I'm going to answer that question by looking at the Packers. Okay. Right? You look at the way that that Aaron Rodgers has been treated in this off season. 
Mm-hmm. No, I've met Aaron Rodgers. I met named up. I've met Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was fortunate enough to interview Aaron Rodgers at the NFL Honors red carpet a couple of years ago in uh, Minnesota. I think it was. He comes across very calm, collected, and focused. Doesn't believe in God. He's an atheist, so he's got no distractions. It's all about him. I think the fact that they drafted a quarterback is going to put a fire in his belly where he's going to go, right, F you lot, watch this. This kid's not going to get on the field for another four years, you know, and really prove his worth. And I think the Bears, the Bears have got, if, if they don't perform, they're going to finish behind. Well, they've got, they could finish last. I'll be honest with you. They could finish last because the Lions are not a bad team, you know, and the Packers are the Packers. And uh, (laughs) let's be honest, the Vikings are great. Yeah. You know, so yeah, it's going to be tough. I think that division is anybody's. It's one of the more exciting divisions because it's all dependent on so many factors. Is Stafford going to be healthy enough to play 16 games? Yeah. Yeah. So I think the Bears have got, I don't want this to happen, but I think there's a real chance that they could finish last, you know, because the Lions, the Lions were a good team last year. I think they were just, they were two minutes each game from being victorious. I know that sounds like a silly thing to say, but they were, they were close in, in the majority of games that they played. The Packers need to book their ideas up on defense and the Vikings just need a little bit of luck, you know, because they've got great players. They really do. I think they're, they're, their safeties need an upgrade. Uh, because they're getting quite mature now. But yeah, that is an open division. It is in, in so many ways, because you've got, it's depending on Stafford's health, if he plays 16 games, they'll always have a shot, because he is so underrated, but he performs. The Bears is all down to what happens with that quarterback situation. There are more weapons there that people get credit for. Montgomery needs to bounce back. But there are there are weapons there, and you know, you have half the league's tight ends there as well on the roster. So that yeah, also how helps. How bad is that, actually? <laughs> that is insane. I think at one point, was it like 11 or 12? I know a few oh have got cut, God. but it's just like, you don't need that many to- <laughs> Unless they're like going to be your secondary offensive line or something. But I thought that was good. Feel, last season, it didn't feel like their tight ends were that efficient anyway. So no. it must be, they must have thrown the playbook on the fire and gone, right, let's start again. We'll start with the tight ends. Get a lot of them in. <laughs> let's see if we can get a good one. Yeah, and then let's go get Jimmy Graham, who's about four years past where he should be. And, oh, give me a break. Yeah, but I think I think the Bears are, are going to be an interesting team to watch. I think they're the, the pivot team in that division. The Packers, Rodgers will either go, right, watch this, as you say, or he'll just say, I'm out. You're not backing me. I'll 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 get a trade. I don't. I, don't, I, don't, I honestly don't think. No, it's that I don't. Character. I don't I mean, either. Yeah. But I'm also not sold on on Matt Lafleur. I know they got to the NFC Championship game last year, but they 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 needed, I think, two or three pieces in the draft to really get them closer. And what they did was took players that they didn't need. Mm. Um, didn't need the quarterback. Didn't need the tight end didn't really need the running back. And unless it's, okay, well, we might not bring Aaron Jones back next year and you're thinking for next year, that I don't mind as much, but it was deep. You didn't need to go in the second round. Yeah. So they've not picked up the wide receiver they needed. They've not picked up, you know, uh, a run stopper that they needed. You know, they gave up 186 yards before contact in the NFC Championship game. They're not, 
they didn't pick up the pieces they needed. A solid linebacker, something like that would have really put them over the edge. They could have got Patrick Queen with that pick. And you think, okay, that's the player that you probably needed in that slot. And that would have helped you in the first round. And I think that that's going to be interesting to see how that dynamic plays out. The Vikings is okay. How do they cope without digs? You've got Jefferson who's great, but it takes time to adjust. The secondary in, in the hole is, is not great. They've okay drafted some rookies, but that takes time. We see rookie cornerbacks get burned left, right, center. You know the position well. It does take time to adjust and get to game speed. They could get beaten early and could be in a hole. So I think it is an interesting division. You you would argue, despite the situation that the Bears are in a quarterback, they are actually, along with the Packers, the more stable team. Because with the exception of – and if Mitch starts, that team, with the exception of tight end, is mostly the same of what it was last year. It, it, it's all about confidence, though. It's it is. All, it's all about confidence because those fans are, are relentless, the Bears fans, because they want a team to win. It's, it's a team that is built on victory, I think. You know, And the Chicago Bears haven't won it since 85, and it's been up and down since then. All right, they've, they've been to the Super Bowl since 85, but didn't win it. And I, I think it's all about confidence going into this season for them. It really is having the confidence that the system's going to work, it's having the confidence that the players are going to step up, but also it's having it's just knowing that it's really weird to explain, but sometimes you just know that it's your lucky day. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's what they need. They need Lady Luck to say, right, let's go, Chicago. That's I think that's a valid point and a and a good one to yeah. to end on. I've um I've already enjoyed this conversation. It's been uh, amazing talking to you and uh sort of getting away from everything for for a little bit. So appreciate you coming on. Why don't you tell no rush nation where if they don't know where to find you and i don't know how they don't where they can find your podcast with fletch with yeah we're, we've got the fumble podcast going with fletch it's on usual outlets you know uh, it's on apple it's on uh acast and all that palaver uh give it a google and uh twitter and, and instagram are out there but also i think i think one thing that i i love about the american football community is unlike football unlike soccer we're, we're all in it together mm. you know and I think because we are we talked about it being like an exotic sport something a little bit different maybe people's second or third sport I think we all we're all aiming and striving for one thing and that's for this sport to grow and be bigger and be better uh, not that it can in my eyes but be be more uh, at the forefront of people's thoughts because I remember everyone had a second team in the late 80s, everyone wore either Walter Payton, Joe Montana or Dan Marino shirts. You know, and I get excited when I see someone wearing a Seattle Seahawks or an Arizona Cardinals bobber. I'm like, football fan, let's go and have a chat. Yeah. You're like, oh, Cardinals fan? No, my uncle gave it me. <laughs> no, okay, apologies. It's still like a bit of a secret handshake. You see one, you go like, ah, it hello. Is, it is, it is, it is. And, and, and more often than not, everyone's really, really friendly. So... As always, I, I doff my cap to UK NFL fans and uh, I do a double doff to those that really uh, bite the bullet and, and, and strap up the chin strap and go and play for their local team. I really respect that. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for having me on. I've absolutely loved it. Uh, me too. Uh, hopefully we get to do this again at some point. Check out the Fumble podcast. This friend says it's everywhere. The interview with Jim McMahon you did recently was absolutely mind-blowing. It was brilliant. So <laughs> That was mad. We sent him, we, we, well, Darren sent him as a thank you, uh, four crates of Bud Light. 
And I said, Darren, I said, come on, a British podcast, you should have sent him two crates of, two crates of, of Boddington's Bitter, mm. a, a crate of London Pride, and then a, a bottle of Gordon's Gin. And then so some I'm, Yorkshire tea on top. Exactly, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, anyway, all good. Thank you, my friend. No, awesome. Thank you so much. Rush Nation, hope you've enjoyed this one. We'll be back next week uh, with some more amazing guests and some more fantasy football takes. If you haven't had a chance yet, get on the website, pre-order the book. It's only five ninety nine. It will be out June 1st, hopefully before. We'll see how we get on. But until next time, Rush Nation, keep rushing. HIV is still an issue in Montgomery County. The more open we're able to talk about HIV, we treat it like any other health prevention. PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. People who are not HIV positive, who may be at high risk for contracting the disease. This is a good choice for you. It's just a way for you to sort of take control and say, I'm going to do this to protect myself. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about PrEP, the HIV prevention medication. Visit doitforyoumc.org. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.